Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoy this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, thank you for tuning in. Divine Nobody's podcast. We're back. We're back, Jen. Yeah, we're back by ourselves. We're it back. feels weird. I know. We actually had a good run. We had a few uh, guests come in, which were phenomenal guests too, by the way. Yeah, we had a, yeah, everybody was really good. It was like three or four different guests. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to reconnect and ground into the Divine Nobody's podcast flow. Yeah. You know like what I'm it. saying? Yeah. So there's a lot of things, a lot of things that we could actually cover. And I uh, wanted to ask you a question. What would you do? If Buddha or Jesus just walked through the door, how would you greet them? Oh man, that's a good question. Yeah, um, could be the only question. I think, I think I would be so caught off guard that I'd probably start laughing because yeah. uh, when I get uncomfortable, I start to laugh. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes at funerals too, which is really fucked up. Really? That's yeah. your Aquarius talking. Yeah. 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 See, if Buddha walks through the door, I actually thought about this today, just randomly. How would we respond? And uh, you would definitely catch me off guard, but I would just be like, I'd look at him and I'd be like, what's up, my dude? <laughs> That's probably what I would say to Jesus if, if it was the psychedelic Jesus that yeah. that um, Sophia said. Yeah, why not? I'd just be like, what's up, my dude? And I feel like Jesus <laughs> and Buddha are like such amazing people and they're pals that they might just respond with, yo, what's up, my guy? You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, I think like joy comes in many forms. Um, I, I, I think that they are human in the sense that they're not so really concerned with how people respond to them as far as like what type of dialogue is shared. I feel like they would match your energy. And that's the thing about really, really amazing and nice people is that they're not really too concerned with like the type of person that you are and how you show up contextually with them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I came up with the most craziest gangster slang to Jesus he'd be able to pick up on the energy that I'm trying to vibe with. And yeah. he would, I think he would appreciate it. Yeah. You know what I'm he'd saying? He'd pick up what you were putting down. Yeah. He'd, yeah. he'd pick it up what I'm putting down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you have to, you know, you have to express various different ways that people express joy. joy. And it comes in various different ways. And I don't want to limit it to just having to, you know, approaching it in sort of like this fundamental Christian way, like, oh, you have to be really modest and very kind to Jesus, very mm-hmm. modest and very kind to Buddha. I'm like, no, just come the way that you are. Yeah. I feel like Jesus and Buddha would appreciate it that way. Yeah. I wouldn't be on my knees, like bowing down or anything like that. Cause that's just not who I am. Yeah. Yeah. I feel too inauthentic. Yeah. You know, I completely agree with you. It's been a crazy Mercury retrograde, Jen. You know, this has been the chillest Mer- Mercury retrograde for me, like in the last year. I feel like the last two of 2020 were so gnarly. And this one was just like, all right, we're going to give you a break. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely earned it because you went through a lot during the last Mercury Retrograde, I remember. Yeah. That was... (laughs) That was some crazy stuff. (laughs) It was. That was a crazy time in life. Yeah. A lot of stuff actually came up for me. Stuff that I wasn't entirely prepared for. And um, I'm always open to learning in various different ways. It's just funny when you're on that spiritual journey, you you want it to look a certain way. You Mm -hmm. expect it to look a certain way. Right. You read a certain book that talks about, you know, 
some level of spirituality and you expect to go on some, you know, steadfast curriculum for the next week about whatever it is that you read. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I, you know, appreciate sometimes are those moments where the universe just like drops you down a few notches. Yeah. Completely unexpected. Yeah. And also because we're in the age of Aquarius, it's like what Jim Goddess said, it is we're in an era of a lot of unexpected things happening. Mm -hmm. Stuff that we would have never imagined to come up. Mm -hmm. And uh, what came up for me, well, I'm going to start off with a dream, right? Okay. A dream. I had a dream. And uh, last couple episodes, I talked about, you know, different types of dreams that I've been having. A lot of them involve aliens. Mm -hmm. uh, but this one in particular, um, I ended up actually uh, entering into the dream and found myself in Italy. Oh, Yeah. Okay, yeah. we did talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked about it, but on the podcast. Yeah. Right. So I was in Italy and I was with a being. I, c I couldn't tell you like who the being was mm -hmm. or if it was a, a guide or if it was a, a girl or a boy. It was just a being. Mm -hmm. I felt like a presence there. Yeah. And the dream world's very obscure. So sometimes you have trouble differentiating between who it is that you're with. Mm -hmm. You just know that there's somebody there. Yeah. And so I was um, with this, I'm just going to call it a guide who was kind of helping me navigate through this place the one thing that I, I did figure out or, or notice is that Italy seemed very familiar to me yeah but beautiful nonetheless mm -hmm. right and I, I can't tell you sp very uh, specifics there are a lot of random abstract things that happen in my dream but towards the end of the dream this is the most I guess profound part of the dream that I remember mm -hmm. is uh, this being walked up to me and you're familiar with acupuncture yeah so acupuncture, they use uh, these little tiny needles and they have these different sort of pressure points throughout your body called nadis. And um, people know it, people are pretty familiar with acupuncture. It's supposed to help with a lot of different things. It can be an anti-inflammatory, it can help with pain, mm -hmm. tons, of, tons of different shit. Yeah. So this, this being walks up to me with an acupuncture needle and he presses it into the left side of my eye. And right before he, he, he does that, I ask him, well, what are you doing? He said... This is so you don't get sick. This mm -hmm. is so you don't get sick. So it was a was that like your COVID vaccine? It's possible. That's it, it's cool. possible though. So did you say under your eye or in your eye? Under my left eye. Okay. Under mm -hmm. my left eye. I didn't entirely. I, I didn't. Wasn't sure what he meant by you know you're not going to get sick. I I didn't spend the last three or four weeks thinking about the COVID vaccine. Yeah. And I wasn't reading articles about it. Uh -huh. So. Um, that's your that's I, your sinus cavity right under your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Sinus cavity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, there could have been various different reasons for that. Maybe, happening maybe you had something, something going on there. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, how most viruses and, uh, and things are transmitted is through your nose so, right. and your eyes. Yeah. He, he pressed the needle into the left side of my eye. Mm -hmm. Right. And I felt it. I felt this sort of like pressure. It, it wasn't pain, but it was like pressure. It was a little uncomfortable. And uh, then I woke up and I woke up with that pain and that pressure in the left side of my eye. Wow. Which I thought was really interesting. That's cool. I thought for myself, okay, well, maybe I slept on my face. Maybe I didn't sleep the right way. But I don't, I honestly, about 99% sure that that's not what happened. So do you think you got abducted or just astral travel? Or what do you mm, think happened? I think if, if anything, I'm going to call it anything, it's, it's, I think it was an upgrade and it was a download cool. of information. And because it was the dream realm, uh, it, do I think that something actually like, you know, like punctured my skin? Mm -hmm. No, but I think from the more spiritual sort of like symbolic perspective, it was, 
a download of mm-hmm. information. Uh, this could, could be a course study curriculum. It could be a message that I needed to know. And I didn't entirely know right after I had that dream what it was mm-hmm. until my week sort of unfolded. Uh, right. Okay. And so as the week unfolded and I was just going about my life all willy nilly mm-hmm. and um, told you about the dream. And I, I started, I felt that the remnants of that pain and that soreness yeah. in my eye and I just couldn't figure out what it is. Yeah. And um, we were in the kind of like the crux of Mercury retrograde and I found myself just randomly. I was just at my computer. I wasn't feeling any anxiety whatsoever. I wasn't feeling um, any pain, nothing that would have taken me down the route of, you know, uh, overexertion of my emotional capabilities. Mm -hmm. And I had a panic attack. Just out of the blue. Out of the blue. No trigger. No no trigger. There was nothing. There was absolutely no no trigger for the panic attack. And of course, I I recovered from, uh, I would say, like a, a panic disorder in my youth. Mm-hmm. And it'd been years, probably more than a decade since I've experienced anything like that. So because Mercury retrograde represents a lot of things from the past coming into perspective, mm-hmm. a lot of things, it could be exes, it could be old emotions, old wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of looking at it in that vein where this angel or this guide was trying to bring something into my field to let mm-hmm. me know like, hey, maybe perhaps we're entering into a new age, a new era, and we wanna create more space inside of your body. And the only way that we can do this, do this is if we go as deep as we can in there and see if there's anything left of your past, a wound, anything. Mm-hmm. And I thought for the most part that I'd gone through that sort of panic in a, uh, a pretty legitimate way I think the the success story is that I didn't have panic attacks at all. Mm-hmm. Ten years after that, wow! So the so fact you went that ten this, years without medication, yeah, and just so how did you treat your panic disorder? The panic disorder, I got really into Eastern spirituality. Interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, that and meditation and, and that kind of thing. meditation, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a Eastern lineage of spirituality, which is the Hindu Advaita Vedanta, like mm-hmm. teachers like Muji and. Gongaji and things like that. So I was able to um, clear that out in that way. And, you know, just like we talk about in a lot of these podcasts is, is really no limit to how deep in you can go. It could very well be my trauma, but could also be my past life past trauma life, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a panic attack. And the first thing that I noticed about it when it came up to, when it came up into my field is it was a very familiar feeling. And uh, I didn't freak out. I kind of remained almost like a corpse, like Suramana Maharshi, the sage of Renatula did, where I was familiar with it, I knew what to do, and I just sat and felt it. And it's so crazy. It's so crazy that your body can produce an experience like this. Mm-hmm. And um, it only lasted a few moments, and I did feel a lot of emotions moving through my body. And right away, the ego comes in and wants to panic because it's it's saying that there's a there's a you know, there's a danger in your yeah, field. Threat. Yeah. There's a threat in your field. It's looking for an external threat. Of course, there's n- nothing like that around. Mm-hmm. So I knew right away that I was moving energy out of my body. Like so, the last last scoop of ice cream at the bottom of the container. Exactly. Just getting the last little bit out. The last little bit out. Yeah, so it was really interesting. It was actually very humbling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was grateful that I had that experience. But what I did actually, I felt really compelled after I had that um that moment to record a little snippet 
And I thought this was actually really special to me because I recorded this voice memo literally minutes after I had a panic attack. So what made you want to record a voice memo? Was it just like, like something dropped in your head and said, I need to talk and record this? Yeah, I think what it is, is um, once I, when I was younger and I went through that whole process of, of, of um, I guess, touching on my spirituality a bit more, mm-hmm. that sort of uh, compulsion to panic or find yourself in a panic attack sort of mm-hmm. subsided. And I never yeah. really had an intense one after that point. So what you learn about in a lot of these books is like, not in books and these teachings is like how to move through one. Yeah. And I never actually had the opportunity to fully move through For one, one, utilizing those teachings and those sort of spiritual precepts. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure whenever you were having panic attacks when you were younger, there there were triggers and threats. So you're probably in a public place and it's like a lot harder to work through something like that yeah. than being in your office you know, at your house by yourself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I use it as an opportunity to like really, really practice yeah. uh, those things that you hear a lot about when you go into these satsangs with uh, these Eastern gurus, there's always somebody in that crowd that's trying to overcome panic disorder mm-hmm. or some sort of panic attack. So a lot of what they talk about is like these anxiety attacks. So uh, if you'd like, I can play yeah, it. Absolutely. It's play a little it. snippet. I'm definitely interested. And we can go into it. I thought it was really interesting because it was right after the heat of that moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's hear it. So I just had a panic attack. It's crazy, right? A dude with a podcast about spirituality has a panic attack. So what does that say? Well, it says a few things. One, that I'm human. Two, that it doesn't matter what you practice or believe. It happens to everyone and it could literally happen to anyone, truly. And it can happen at the most random times. You know, everyone goes through stress. Everyone goes through various levels of tragedy, atrocity, stress. We're human, it happens. So I came to this really interesting realization after uh, developing the strength to overcome and feel through that experience that panic attacks are just interesting because they can scare the shit out of you. The fundamental core of a panic attack, what we're looking at is fear inside of our bodies. Normally, we're responding to fear in our outward environment, maybe at the hands of other people. But this fear coming from within just sort of takes you over and it can come out of nowhere. It comes as a result of some sort of perceived external threat in its environment. And what do you do? You freak out. There's this impulse in you to run away. There's a threat somewhere. You need to identify what it is. And in that moment, you aren't entirely sure where it's coming from. So you go through this interesting bout of panic. You feel like you have to run, although there's no reason to run. You feel like you have to search, although there's no reason to search for anything. You feel like you have to shelter. You feel like you have to protect yourself and there's no reason to protect. And so you're driven by just the sheer terror. You do a number of things, any number of things, in order to talk yourself out of that experience. Perhaps you run into the shower, throw ice cold water on your face. Maybe run down the street as fast as you can. Maybe hide in a closet. I don't know. Get underneath the bed. However it is that you go through that experience is different for everyone. And you know after you've undergone that that you felt something fucking crazy. So what do you do the next day? You go online. You look on YouTube. You look at the different reasons why people go through panic attacks. You go through these sort of three tips on how to avoid them, five tips on how to overcome them. And so by the end of, let's just say, hour 24 of going online looking for the solution to your issue, you have the confidence. 
You have the wisdom and insight in order to combat that experience in the event that it actually happens again. So you're going through your life, but there's this sort of reluctance still in the back of your consciousness wondering if it'll ever happen again. So you're feeling through certain emotions in a way that you've never really felt before. You're looking to see if there's any fear in there. You're looking to see if there's any threat in there and you don't see it. And then one day out of nowhere, it doesn't even come invited. One day it just shows up there. It's like, what's up? And you start to feel that sort of familiar feeling in your throat, in your lungs, and your sight becomes a bit more clear. And all of a sudden you feel the intensity of a panic attack coming. You start looking around, scanning your environment to see where the catalyst is, but you can't find it. It's not anywhere. So you're searching, tirelessly searching, trying to figure out, okay, well, where is this coming from? And then that thought comes into your mind. Okay, well, this is where my training comes in, right? I should be able to take it down easily, 100%. Because all the things, all the research that I've done, all of the videos that I've watched have prepared me for this moment in order to combat this fear. So that should be it. I should be good. This should be over, right? I don't think it really happens that way, at least from what I've gathered. See, the issue with a panic attack the issue with overcoming fear is that we don't realize that our minds are the ones creating the threat. We're scanning our environment, trying to hyper-analyze a situation in order to make sense of it. And as a result, we end up creating a worst case scenario for ourselves. So what happens when you try and talk yourself out of a panic attack is you automatically admit to some level of guilt. You automatically admit that there's some form of an issue out there and that you need to save yourself from it. And what we don't realize is that admittance, that admittance of guilt, that admittance of there being a perceived threat is what catapults us directly into that experience, makes it so much worse. So from what I've gathered is you can't intellectualize and talk yourself out of an irrational feeling that isn't based in truth. So the one thing that we should do is get out of our heads and realize that our mind is the catalyst. Our mind is the one that is creating this situation this danger that doesn't exist. And that danger is perceived by this compulsion to try and figure out where the threat is. It's like we get stuck in this loop of trying to identify an issue where there isn't one. And by doing that, we trick our minds into thinking that there is one. And it becomes this sort of back and forth motion of scaring ourselves into some sort of submission by the mind. So the best thing we can do in order to mitigate a panic attack is to get into your heart. Well, what does that mean? It means to pay attention to what's in front of you. Pay attention to what your eyes are looking at, how your skin feels, how your feet feel against the ground. In other words, get yourself out of your mind and into this moment because that's really the only place that you realistically have any power at all and the only place that you really exist because you're looking all around in this sort of hypervigilant 360 degree dance looking for the catalyst. You can't find it anywhere. It's not anywhere. The reason why is because it's in your mind and it's an easier said than done thing. I totally get it because when that cortisol shoots through your veins and suddenly your heart's beating out of your chest, it's hard to convince yourself really of anything else. But in that moment, it's spirit or it's body. Which one will you choose? Because you have a choice. Will you choose a body that's afraid or a spirit that is unbreakable? So I think at this point, at this point, I don't mean to go to war with your body. I think it's important to understand fear's role in your life. The fear response is our body's mechanism of protection over us in moments of danger. 
The issue in this situation is that your thoughts are convincing your body that you are the threat. And so it tries to escape itself when it's obvious that it can't. In these moments, it's so important to be compassionate and realize that fear isn't the enemy. It's our thought about what fear means that creates one. So what will you choose? Because your mind doesn't want to hurt you, your body doesn't want to hurt you, so why convince yourself that it does? Maybe we should practice forgiveness for falling asleep momentarily because it happens to us all, it really does. Every day is this constant practice of falling asleep and waking up, both physically and spiritually. And as the days go by, we become better at remaining awake. That awakeness meaning that we are in control of our own personal sovereignty. And we have to make that known to the ego so that it doesn't fuck around with us anymore. You know, this is your life and you have full control over what you feel, believe and think. So don't let your ego push you around. How about that? Yeah, it's a little rough around the edges, but I just channeled it's, that. It's not. Yeah, it totally sounds channeled um, it, it, almost like manic, you know, um, and, and it's funny because in my, you know, I've been doing a mediumship class for, you know, the last couple months and uh, this most recent time, my teacher, uh, he was like, somebody's coming through. And I said, yeah, it's for me. Cause I could feel, I could feel the person like next to me. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't know who it was. And when he started channeling her message, um, he would talk really fast like that, like, just like that. Yeah. Um, just kind of like in, um, in a manic type way where the words are just flowing and, you know, they're flowing really fast and you're trying to keep up. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I wasn't yeah, thinking totally. too much about like how I was going, how I was delivering that. I just needed to get something out to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. To get it out. And in that moment, I just noticed that there was uh, a lot of that, what that fear does is it creates a division between you and the, your emotions. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like you, you have the moment which we all exist in. It's sort of, in, it's not indifferent, but what's in front <laughs> of you is really realistically the only thing that there is. So when we get lost in our minds, uh, with with fear, we we start. It's almost like I think. Uh, what was the guy? Um, I forget his name. The one that does those meditations. Um, in space. Oh, <laughs> Joseph Spencer. Yeah, Joseph Spencer. He's like, well, the mind can't tell the difference between emotional fear and physical fear. Right, it can't. Right. So mm -hmm. we're sitting there and we're we're thinking about a memory from 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and it still has that grip on you, and it still has uh, that that same sort of meat that it used to have. You could draw that into your moment and create a scenario uh, that doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's crazy. You know, I have a question. I've never, I've never had a panic attack, so I don't, I don't, I've never experienced anything that you're talking about, but one of my very close friends um, would have panic attacks all the time. So uh, my question is, do you, cause I know that you don't drink a lot of caffeine. Do you think caffeine makes panic attacks worse? I think it can. I, I think it can. I, I think that particularly for someone that's maybe our HSP, like mm -hmm. we talked about, like highly sensitive people, mm -hmm. but it really depends because there's a lot of uh, pretty uh, self-aware, highly sensitive people. I think what happens with panic is that you start to uh, start, you start to try and do the job that your body is supposed to do itself. Mm -hmm. There's this division where it's like somehow you're not trusting your own biological functions in order to help moderate all the things in your body. Mm -hmm. So you start paying too much attention to your breathing, too much attention to your thinking, too much attention to all those things. You start to tense up, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that the best way uh, for someone to just organically flow in their life is to just trust the fact that the body can just do those things without you having to worry about it. Mm -hmm. um, 
we're more often than not, we're not thinking about how we breathe unless we're, you know, sitting down to meditation. But in those moments, uh, we, we, we make the intention to create a set and setting conducive to, you know, that type of breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're in a chaotic situation, maybe you're like at a really stressful job and you're starting to tense up, uh, you're responding to your external environment, mm-hmm. it becomes so easy for somebody, I imagine like an HSP to start over, overly being cautious, conscious of, of those things. Yeah. And, um, you can interrupt the natural flow of the body that way. Mm-hmm. You can start breathing from your chest and opposed to your stomach. Uh, yeah. You can start like tensing up and uh, it becomes this sort of vicious cycle when it, when it comes to things like panic attack where there's not a threat, but you start paying really close attention to your breathing and then you start breathing incorrectly and all of a sudden you're not getting enough oxygen and you're feeling that in your body and all of a sudden because you're being hyper aware of what's going on, that creates more anxiety and it becomes this sort of uh, fractal thing of anxiety on top of anxiety on top of anxiety. Pretty soon you're losing yourself to Mm -hmm. the feeling of cortisol and adrenaline and you're forgetting who you really are. So how are you talking yourself down from this? I don't think you, I I think people can talk themselves down from something like that. But uh, from what I've gathered from the more spiritual perspective is that if you want to go and use that sort of direct way of trying to resolve that mm-hmm. is that you have to not try and combat the mind with strategies that the mind has given you to quiet it. Mm-hmm. You have to hop outside of your mind and just be in the moment. Cause I think what happens with the panic is that we start, we start trying to define what it is that we're feeling yeah. with words. Right. We start trying to say, okay, well, like, is is there something wrong with my heart? I must be having a heart attack. Yeah, that would freak anybody out. Or I'm, uh, I feel I like I'm going to faint. I, feel I like can't I'm breathe. Pass out. And then yeah. your mind hears that, right? And you start convincing yourself that these are things that may actually happen. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean when I was talking um, in that clip about you know you don't want to use your mind in order to combat the mind because the mind believes everything. Yeah, and. Uh, we do a really good job at overall identifying with the ideas that we have, especially in the moment when we're looking for solutions. So the best thing that you can do is just observe it. And I know it's an easier said than done thing because when that cortisol shoots through your blood, Mm -hmm. it's hard to think rationally because that fear response, that feeling like impending doom and death, it's like, it's a hard thing to overcome, Mm -hmm. but you have to remain present and just look at it without judging what it is. Like you're looking at it, you're feeling it without trying to define what that feeling is. And you know, that's interesting because patients, whenever they are complaining of, uh, whenever they're having a heart attack, one of the like telltale signs is um, a feeling of impending doom. Yeah. So a heart attack must feel exactly like a panic attack. I've never had either, but um, yeah. just by the description, that's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I think anytime the body's going through what it, some level of perceived trauma, mm-hmm. you know, that flight or fight response is there. I think uh, the easy, uh, one really helpful thing for someone going through that is to realize like that it's a biological function that's meant to protect you. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. we we somehow start going to bat with our own bodies thinking mm-hmm. that it's trying to hurt us, but it's this is a, an evolutionary advantage that we have because it's the, that flight or fight response is the only reason why in the wild you don't get killed by bears. Right. Because you can just take off <laughs> and bounce. 
Yeah. You know, so yeah. it, it's, it, I think it's, it's learning to identify, you know, physical threats between emotional threats and um, realizing that your body's doing that to help you. It's trying to show you that there's something in your field that you need to pay attention to. And uh, that's perhaps where the work is. Yeah. I, when I was going through it and I was feeling through it, it just felt like me moving energy because it felt old. Mm-hmm. It had like a really old uh, energy to it. Crusty, stale ass energy. Exactly. Like the old water that you have next to your bed for three days. And then exactly. you're really thirsty and you go to drink it and you're like, damn, that old ass stale water. Oh yeah. Like the so water, nasty. like the water bottle you have in your car for like two weeks. Oh, that's the worst. And the plastic is like leached into the water. Yeah. Somebody oh. actually told me that's like, um, it's not healthy at all to drink water from a water bottle after it's just sitting in your car for like yeah, a month. It's not. Yeah. Something to do with the plastic. I'm yep. not entirely sure. Yeah. The chemicals leach into the water from the heat. Really? Mm-hmm. I've never looked into that. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's like that. It's like that yeah. old, everybody has. If it's a glass bottle, it's fine, but not a plastic one. A glass bottle? But mm-hmm. the water's good though. Yeah. The, the water's fine in a glass bottle. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with the water. It's the it's the heat um, from the sun and heating up in your car, causing the plastic to like not melt, but have uh, start to melt, you know, yeah. like the beginning stages of melting and it leaches those chemicals into the water. Oh yeah. You don't want that. Yeah. It's, and you can taste it. Really? It's nasty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the energy that was Tested moving through it. me was that. So if I'm going to try and put two things together symbolically, I felt like that angel or that being was like, okay, I'm going to place something in your field that may hurt mm-hmm. temporarily Yeah. or make you feel sore, but it's something that you need to go through, move through so that you can make more space inside of your, your body for light. So how do you feel as a result of that? Do you feel like... I feel lighter, great. lighter and brighter. Yeah. And the reason why is because it was one of the first times where I was able, able to say, okay, this is a panic attack. I'm going to go through this, be completely present and I'm going to breathe through it. And I just sort of was like, yo, this is it. You got to feel it to heal it. If, if this is it, if this is, if this is my death, I don't want to miss it. Yeah. You know, if this is it. So I just sat there and it was intense. It was like this earthquake inside of your body. And you get this feeling of like progression. It starts to accelerate more and more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And most people, you know, will tap out after like the first couple of minutes because all of a sudden they, they start trying to define what it is and then their breathing gets all fucked up. But it just sat there and just was present to it. And I was like, come on, let's do it. Yeah. Come on, give me some. I was like, get <laughs> some, get some. <laughs> You want this? I was like, come at me, bro. Come at me, bro, with the panic. That's exactly how it was. I was like, come on, let's do this. Ooh. Right? And then it it just slowly, slowly went away. Mm. You know? Interesting. I think I came close to having a panic attack one time. Yeah? Yeah, I'm going to tell this story. When? I was, I was kind of hesitating about telling the story. Mm. So I was at work and I was at... Um, like a, they call them POA, plan of action meetings. And it's like our entire company. And um, I, you do different workshops and whatever, and they ask me to speak. I usually don't have a problem speaking in front of people and I'll just get up there and blah, 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 you know, whatever it is I have to say. Yeah. Um, and we were doing like, a, you know, whatever in our little workshop and I was presenting it. Well, the night before, because at these meetings, you know, you're out late at dinners with your team and everybody's drinking and then, you know, you're up at seven hungover and, you know, I drank like three cups of coffee to, 
get the motors running, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I think the combination of being really hungover and dehydrated and then drinking all that coffee, like a all little, the stimulants. A little bit of that devil's lettuce. Oh my God. No, no. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Um, nope. Just the Jesus juice. Just the Jesus juice. Yeah. And um, so I went to speak and all of a sudden I, uh, I my throat kind of like got tight, like I was about to have an allergy. Yeah. And, um, and then my face flushed and I started to get really tingly and lightheaded and I couldn't breathe. Mm. And I was like, oh shit. I was like, oh my gosh, am I having a panic attack? And I was like, I've never had a panic attack. I wouldn't even know what it felt like, you know? Yeah. So then I started talking and then I just couldn't even get the words out. Mm -hmm. So um, I gave the microphone to my friend Audrey and I was like, you're gonna have to finish this. And then I just walked out, like walked out of the room and I stood outside and I was like, oh my God, am I gonna throw up? And I was like, no, I'm not gonna throw up. No, everything's cool. And then after like five minutes, I was totally fine back to normal. So, and it just came out of the blue, out of nowhere. Um, I have no idea. So I think it had something to do with the caffeine. Just that like, was a panic attack. That was a panic, yes, panic attack. Yes, but the one thing that I know is that because you're an Aquarius, you do a really good job at separating your emotions from certain things. Yeah. So you could have just, you know, not allowed yourself to get fully absorbed by the passion of that. Yeah. But the way that you're explaining it to me sounds exactly like that. Huh. I think there's okay. a lot of people that get close and they can acknowledge, um, you know, that what's coming on is a little bit of anxiety and they can kind of just do some breathing exercises. There are some people that can just start paying attention to something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, that happened to me uh, every once in a while. I mean, it happens. But if you found yourself, I would say the, the only piece that it was missing is that you didn't get afraid and you didn't start, uh, you know, obsessively, compulsively, like, trying to figure out where it's coming from. I yeah. feel like you had a clear, a clear indication as to where it was coming from. You just had some anxiety because you were in front of all these people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I've noticed that I cannot drink a lot of caffeine if I have been the night or, or the next day after I've had too much alcohol the night before. Something yeah. about being dehydrated and then having all that caffeine, forget it. Like I'm just like, Whoa. yeah. 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 I feel like that was a, like a level, like a level one panic attack. Level one, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, yeah. Yeah, but there, okay. there, well, there. I guess I have had one. Yeah, and there are some people that if they don't get that checked out, they can start going to battle with themselves. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's a crazy sort of roundabout circle, um, vicious cycle that people get into, where it's like, what happens with panic and fear is that uh, as a byproduct of the panic attack after you've already had it, your your mind will sometimes create this sort of like blueprint. Mm -hmm. this imprint of where you were at during that time. And it will identify that feeling with whatever moment that you're in. And as a way to try and make sure that you don't find yourself in another situation like that, it starts to try and prevent you from ever getting into situations like that again. Mm -hmm. So if you're at home and you happen to be, I don't know, sleeping in your, sleeping in your bed and you have a panic attack, it's not uncommon for people to be afraid of sleeping in that bed again. Because they're afraid of, of, of somehow recreating that experience. Yeah. So they don't normally, uh, maybe some people do, but it's, it's not uncommon for people to, you know, it's like when a cat or a dog experience something really negative at a certain place and they never go back there again. Yeah. You know, it's like that with humans too, but you have to be really careful because when it comes to uh, physical responses, you know, uh, you'll start 
overly like worrying about whether or not you'll have one again. It becomes yeah. this sort of like cycle of worrying, like, okay, I had a panic attack. I know what it feels like. So you're always scanning your body in order to make sure that there's nothing there that could potentially lead you back down that route. So you become your own trigger. Yeah. And that's something that you really need to get checked. Okay. You know, that makes, that makes sense. So like in my case, if I, in the future was having issues with speaking in public because I associated that panic attack with speaking in public mm -hmm. that every time I would go to speak in public, it would initiate or trigger like a panic attack yeah. because you have that kind of like a, a, a trauma bond. Exactly. Too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the best thing that you can do in order to overcome that is to push yourself to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, I think uh, the, the hardest part is getting yourself to do it, but you'll find that in the moment when you actually do something like that and you actually get up in front of the crowd and start talking, like you realize that it was just fear and then it goes away. Yeah. So um, I think it's one of those things that they use in therapy, you know, mm -hmm. where like you're sitting, you're talking through post-traumatic stress or like different memories of maybe soldiers that were in Iraq. It's hard for them to, to talk through some of their emotions, but once they actually talk through it, and maybe they do hypnotherapy, they're no longer compelled by those emotions anymore. You know, I think that that would be an interesting um, topic and guest in the future is to get somebody on that has PTSD and how they work through it. Absolutely. So a lot of people s struggle with that. I actually used to date a guy years and years ago, um, and he was in the military and um, saw some crazy shit and um, suffered PTSD because he was career military. He was in 25 years. Yeah. And... Um, he said that the sound of somebody uh, opening uh, a, a beer can, just that like crack um, would initiate like a PTSD response in yeah. him. And he could be in a restaurant and hear it. And then, you know, like it would take him to a completely different place. Yeah. I did it a girl a long time ago that was in the air force. Mm -hmm. This was in like really, really early twenties. And she was a flying medical technician for the air force. And she actually was in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And she told me some stories about what she experienced, but there were some things that were off limits. Yeah. And it's not uncommon. Like you hear that a lot. Some yeah. soldiers have some memories they don't want to talk about. Yeah. But one thing that um, uh, I did notice about her is she had different habits that I think most soldiers probably go through. They wake up at 4 a.m., mm -hmm. randomly just do push-ups yeah. and do that kind of thing. So she um, would wake up really early. She'd do that thing. But one day she was sleeping mm -hmm. and... I happened to wake her up and she flipped out. Oh, wow. And she had me like by my neck. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. For like a second. And the, she, it's like, she, I remember looking at her eyes, it was like emptiness. Like she didn't know what yeah. was going on. No one was home. Yeah. And then, you know, she started to ease up and I was like, what's going on? And she's like, yeah, um, you can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, she went on to tell a story about like, you know, when you're in Iraq, you mean, you're always having to be on alert. You don't know what's yeah. going to happen, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, that's a perfect example of how post-traumatic stress gets you, Yeah, you know, like, like loud noises, bangs, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. And, um, that those, those experiences are definitely traumatic and hard to get through. But when it comes down to how you combat them inside, like in your body, it really comes down to what we identify as being us. Mm-hmm and what is really us and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And if we can identify or maybe not identify, but if we can like really, really channel into the divinity within, we'll realize that that divine spirit can't be affected by these things. Mm -hmm. 
And the only reason why the fear exists around these situations is because we've created definitions and and, and putting names to different buckets of fear that we've experienced, you know? And I think think that's what the body does, but it's there to protect you. Like it's saying, you know, don't go back there because, you know, this, this is, you know, dangerous for you. Yeah. But... We need to check emotional fear and realize that like, you know, it, it, this is just me, you know, overlay identifying with the situation that is no longer here and kind of moving through that, I think is a lot of the work that some of these people have to go through. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of, I guess. Yeah. I well, guess since you said I did have a baby panic attack, I do know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was your rite of passage. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody goes through it. And if anybody's listening, if you guys have ever gone through a panic attack, just, you know, be present. You know, uh, pay attention to your breathing, but don't don't obsessively pay attention to your breathing. Just trust the fact that your body will take care of you yeah. and you'll be fine, you know? Yeah, so another thing uh, that happened during this uh, retrograde gen is I watched a movie. You did? I normally don't watch you movies. You never watch TV. Never yeah. watch TV. I actually had to use somebody else's uh, Netflix account in order to be able to watch <laughs> this shit. Shh. So you told me about this movie, mm-hmm. and this was My Octopus Teacher. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. So It's like a docu-movie, but it, yeah. Yeah, it's a real movie, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a docu-movie because it's like a, a documentary slash movie. But it's it's all of it's real. All of it's real. It's not yeah. actors. Yeah, no, all the footage is real. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. didn't seem that way. So the... My octopus teacher, um, I think at this point, a lot of people have probably um, watched it, but it's basically the story of this guy that develops this um, really interesting connection. I would say spiritual connection to this octopus. Yeah. Or as Jen would say, octopi. <laughs> I, okay, so I, I'll, I'll be honest. I watched the first episode and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This guy is a weirdo. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to, continue on with this but everybody was raving about how good it was what was it about it made him weirdo it was the way that he was talking about the octopus like it was his girlfriend i don't know it was fucking weird i don't know i was just it it was it was giving me uh, it was making me feel some type of way and it was (laughs) in a good way (laughs) some type of way (laughs) so uh so yeah but i was like okay i'm gonna give it one more and then by the second episode i was like okay i get it i'm hooked will you say episode was it a series well because I watched it like a movie, and I, and I don't know. Oh, you I, watched it straight through? I watched it all the way through. Because uh, I don't remember there being episodes, but I mean, you could have just... Maybe I just took a break. <laughs> yeah, maybe you took a break. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't remember, but, but it was... After yeah. it got to the second part of what you're talking about, yeah. it kind of went through. Yeah, after he goes through the introduction of himself and like kind of what he does and yeah. what got him to this place. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a really beautiful movie. Um, The one thing that I did gather from this, and I have uh, sort of like pros and cons to this movie, is really beautifully done. And I actually like the way that he speaks. And I think it probably deals a lot with the fact that he has like this really cool accent. Yeah, he does have a cool accent. And he does talk about this animal like it were like a like a woman. It, it, yes. Right. So yes. I can appreciate like the cadence and the beauty of that because mm-hmm. it went really well with the music. Yeah. Right. So if I closed my eyes and thought of him talking about a woman, like it'd be beautiful. Right. It'd be like this nice sort of romantic thing. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of coined, I just chalked that up as just, he was just a very passionate person. But one thing that I did gather from him. But I didn't get that, that he was a passionate person by the way he treated his wife. No, no. The, the octopus 
drew it, drew it, drew out, it of out of him. Yeah. Right? Cause the one thing that I gathered at the beginning was he wasn't a really great father. Yeah. He didn't know how to connect with this kid. Yeah. And he obviously didn't know how to connect with his wife either. Yeah. And I think he talked a little bit about that. A little that, bit about that, that, yeah. He had that disconnect with him. So right away, he kind of just seems like an introverted type of person. Yeah. Kind of seems like the people that I used to work with at JPL, where it's like they they are really fascinated by specific things, but they sort of lack the social skills yeah. to get by. And so he obsessively started going to this lake or river area. And it's cool that he was a, was like a free diver. He didn't, wasn't like a scuba diver. That was insane. I could not believe number one, that he was in the water as cold as it was and how long he held his breath. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. I think of how many times you've had to go up and down, up and down and still trying, you know, create this trust between this animal. Right. You know, um, but. I mean, she clearly knew that he wasn't part of the ocean and he, you know, needed to breathe. Right. Yeah. So it was cool seeing, uh, I've never, I've always known that octopus are intelligent. Yeah. You know, they can change colors. They can take different shapes mm-hmm. and um, the, a few different really, I learned a lot of things about the octopus that I didn't know before. One is that all of the suction cups on its hands, I mean, there's tentacles, like yeah. there's hundreds of them. Yeah. They're all their own independent sort of neural networks. Yeah, and it that's said so in crazy, the, right? said in the movie that like, I think probably over 90% of its cognition is in its hands. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to think, and he even said it, he's like, how the hell is that possible? Like, these are all little brains acting independently, but somehow cohesively working together. And you know, it's interesting because you mentioned they change colors yeah. and they're actually colorblind. But the way that they change colors is um, they can actually smell and see through their skin. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. It's fucking crazy. That's I crazy. Know. Yeah, it's nuts. And then, you know, it had like different parts of the movie where it was like walking like a human. Yes. With his feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, did that whole thing with the shell to protect itself from the shark. Yeah. And uh, I think the the part that kind of won me over um, along with other things was uh, that clip in the movie where this this octopus is just straight up playing with the fish. Yeah. It's, you just see his tentacles just like moving around all over the place. And it almost, it reminded me of like me when I catch my cat playing around. Yeah. When your cat's just like, you know, throwing things around and like, it's got that little toy that has like catnip in it and it's just playing. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of when I saw the octopus. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. It was really cool. Of course that happened right before. Oh yeah. Right before the octopus, spoiler alert, perished. Yeah. You know, but. Did you cry? I, I, I was feeling some kind of way about it Yeah. because, uh, the one thing that I've noticed and I've had this sort of, I, this, this, uh, I guess idea for a long time, which is when you watch these national geographic videos, it's not uncommon to, to see, you know, those animals being killed by other animals Yeah. or vice versa. It's like that they say that's nature. You should never interfere with a natural process. Yeah. You know, because there'd be plenty of times where I've seen these National Geographic like videos and being like, why wouldn't they help this animal? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't they get in there? And their, their main, their main justification is, oh, this is the natural kingdom mm-hmm. and we need to preserve sort of the sanctity of it. And the balance. And right? the balance. But I don't understand because you're an animal, yeah. right? And you're a human and you're also a part of nature. So, I mean as a compassionate sort of impulse because human beings have clairsentience mm-hmm. because we have the ability to differentiate between what's good and what's bad. If there's an animal in our field that needs our help, by all means, it seems the most suitable thing to intervene. 
mm-hmm. and protect it. Yeah. If we can. Yeah. I mean, if it's a lion, obviously you don't want to do that because you'll get killed. Yeah. You're still an animal. But this like this division that people draw in that field that's like, oh, we can't interfere with the natural process as if somehow they're not a part of that. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, but I I definitely think that there is a balance in nature and there is is the hunter and the hunted. And that's just part of what preserves the balance on, on this planet. So I kind of agree. I, I I wouldn't intervene, but then, then again, like there's not like millions of people inter- intervening in uh, octopus, you know, life and death matters. So I feel like maybe for once he could have saved her. Yeah. But then, you know, at the same time, he's in a kelp forest with absolutely no protection and uh, going up against a shark. So there's right. that too. That shark would have eaten his ass too. Oh yeah. Right. But the 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 one thing that kind of didn't sit well with me is his reasoning for not intervening. Yeah. Right? At the closer to the end of the movie, he's all talking about like, well, I thought like, should I help him? He he let her almost die like three times. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so after the second, after the third time, I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. Like this thing like trusts you. Uh-huh. It allows you to kind of go along the ride yeah. and, and go on adventures. So for all he knows, she can look at him almost as a protection. Yeah. So her behavior may also actually be a little bit more vulnerable yeah. because she feels safe around him. Safe around him. Yeah. So that makes sense. At the towards the end of the movie he thought like, oh, should I save her? And he said like, oh, no, because there I, I felt like there was this side of him where he knew that was an obsession. Yeah. He knew that he was oh, spending he all yeah. of his time out there. Yeah. He knew that he probably wasn't, you know, spending as much time with his family, yeah. with his wife, with his kids. And instead of developing the courage to remove himself from it, Mm-hmm. he needed nature to do it for him. Right. I thought that sucked. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. It's like you <laughs> let your suck. friend die so that you, you can, can be relieved of this obsession that you have. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's a very valid point, Eric. Yeah. And I'm sure his wife was like, hey man, what's going on? Like you're in the kelp forest every day, all day. Yeah. Uh, and what was his job? I forget what his job was. How was he making money if he was like down in the kelp forest every day? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Because uh, they lived in a sick ass house I, too. I think he, wasn't he like a like an amateur documentary maker? And that's the reason why he had all that camera equipment. Um, perhaps. Like a photographer or something like that. Or was he like an oceanographer? I don't know. Yeah. I don't well, know. He, he seemed like he developed a pretty good relationship with his kid because he. Eventually. He, yeah. He, you can see the kid actually get older too. It kind yeah. of puts in a perspective how long he was how doing that. How long he was doing part. it. Yeah. Yeah. But at, you know, towards the end of the movie, I, I mean, I didn't know that octopus actually die when they, after they meet. I didn't, I know didn't either. I did not either. That was, that blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not his fault for the octopus, you know, for that part, but so he's not completely responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just felt so sad when she was just like wandering around with one arm and she just was like, oh, yeah. Tucked underneath that rock, just like recovering. Yeah. It was she hard. Lo- when she lost one of her yeah. arms, that was really sad. Yeah. You know, I thought it was cool. There was a part in there where um, he was saying that her little tiny suckers were, you know, like on his arm. Yeah. And that she was passing information to him. Like he was like downloading information from her. Yeah. Do you remember that part? I don't remember he, that part, but that's yeah. interesting. Um, I'll have to, I'll look it up because I'm sure that there's a snippet somewhere on YouTube and send it he to you. You just started getting all these downloads? Yeah. And um, oh. and that's that's kind of where the teaching came from that he was like, oh, this octopus taught me how to love. 
yeah. and like how to to properly properly love and how to you know re-engage with my family and and my kid and all yeah. that. Because I gathered like, because I remember him talking about that, but you know, he, he talked a lot about the the vulnerability that he felt in that area of the water. Yeah. Right. Having to be. I mean, be, that's a dangerous area. Yeah. All the sharks down there, like that's. Yeah. And he's in South Africa. There's great whites there. Like yeah. that's no fucking joke sharks. Yeah. And he yeah. like mapped out every single part of that little kelp forest. And he had that little, you know that little wall with photo Polaroids and photographs. Yeah. Like he really wanted to study. He knew. Yeah. He knew everything. exactly where to go. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, cool. it, it was really cool. So I have a, I've, I, you know, I've never actually even liked, even when I was eating meat and, and things like that, I never liked calamari mm-hmm. or squid. Yeah. So I'm just going to continue not liking it. Yeah. But, um, I have a newfound respect for the animal. Oh, me too. Yeah. And it, it's funny, after watching that, I have not had calamari since. And I actually really like it. Um, and I loved octopus prior. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, since then, I, I just can't eat it. They're too, they're just too intelligent. They're, and I think they're aliens and it just freaks me out. They're little and now aliens. I feel now I feel guilty. And I'm like, oh man, whenever the aliens, you know, actually do come down, am I going to be in trouble for eating, <laughs> eating their brother and their cousin? You know, I don't know. We'll see. It's crazy that they only live for about a year. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I didn't either. You I know? didn't know their lifespan was so short. Yeah. You got like turtles that are over here like a thousand years old and you have like squid that are there for like a year. Yeah. That's insane. Pretty but insane. They, 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 I feel like they're definitely aliens. Oh, for sure. Speaking of aliens, did you see that Elon Musk episode with Joe Rogan? I did. I watched most of it. And um, and actually when we were doing our podcast um, a couple weeks ago, Jeremy was downstairs watching it yeah. and he was cracking up because I guess Elon Musk got drunk. And yeah. Was like, Which is like, kind of what happens when you hang out with Joe Rogan. Right. And um, when he was, you know, talking about aliens and, and Jeremy made me like watch that part and he was cracking up. He was like, he's so funny. Yeah. And I was like, he's not usually funny. Normally Elon Musk is, is really awkward and yeah. like a little odd. Um, but I... I'll admit it was pretty funny when he was talking about the, the bull come and mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. Yeah. He, I think in the lab. It, that was his third time with Joe Rogan. So I imagine like they're kind of chums now. Yeah. And, uh, he's probably a little bit more relaxed around him. Yeah. Um, the one thing I was thought it was interesting about that episode though, is that they, of course the alien conversation came up again. Yeah. And, um, usually Elon Musk is sort of like talks very cryptically around it, but he just straight up was like, yeah almost yeah. refuting aliens. Yeah. Like they don't exist. I know. I thought that was nuts. It, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. So and I'm like, you're t- an alien. Yeah. Back up. That, Put that, it in reverse. Right. That's how I knew. I was like, yeah. we're getting closer to contact. Yeah. We're getting closer because Elon Musk is so much more obvious when he's saying that aliens don't exist yeah. than he is when he's saying that maybe there's a possibility that they might exist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It seems like he just wasn't being a good liar. Yeah. It's like all your lying sucks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a really good episode though. But you were telling me about, uh, your psychic training or your mediumship. I wanted to, yeah, yeah. how's that going? Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, so last week, well, a couple of things happened. So, um, I had a friend that committed suicide years ago and, um, the day after she committed suicide, she came to me in a dream and in the dream, we were sitting on the bridge, um, and there were no cars on it. And just sitting in the middle of the road and it was dark 
and she was smoking a cigarette and drinking orange soda, which she didn't do either. She didn't smoke cigarettes and she didn't drink orange soda. So I was like, oh, this must be a dream, you know? <laughs> and we're talking and, um, and she explained to me that she went there with the intention of killing herself. And then when she got there, she changed her mind. But when she changed her mind, she was climbing over the side of the bridge and she slipped and fell. So, um, you know, this is the day after she died. So obviously I thought to myself, like, this was just me trying to rationalize her death, right? Because mm -hmm. she was not a person that would commit suicide. Like yeah. I grew up with her and, um, when we were younger, she was, she was heavy. So she was overweight. She got made fun of. She, you know, never got the guy that she liked because she was also really tall. Mm -hmm. So she was really tall and overweight. So, um, but as she got older, she started working out and lost all of that weight and was like super bundled, beautiful. I yeah. mean, she went from like ugly duckling to gorgeous. Yeah. And uh, I think that shift and that change in, in who she was and how people treated her, um, she didn't really know how to handle it and how to deal with that, right? Yeah. So long and short of the story is when, when we were younger, she would always say like, oh, people who commit suicide, like when Kurt Cobain committed suicide, we were close friends. And um, she was like, that's just bullshit. You know, you know, it's a cop out and blah, blah, blah. Like she yeah. was just totally not supporting people that were making that decision, right? So for her to commit suicide was like a total fucking shock. And, um, and I was like, there's no way. And I just kept like thinking like, there's no way, there's no way. Well, after, after that dream, the thing about the dream though, is it, it felt so real. Mm -hmm. And she told me in the dream, there were two things that really stood out. Like that she uh, said to me verbally, the first one was, she said, you know me. And that's exactly how she said it in my dream. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I know you. And she goes, and you know, I've always been troubled. And I was like, yeah, I knew you were always troubled, but not to this extent. And she was like, yeah, you know, like I said, it wasn't, it, it was kind of an accident, but kind of wasn't, yeah. you know? Um, so in my mediumship class last week, um, our, uh, our instructor, Michael Mayo, he, uh, he was going through, you know, uh, attunement and, you know, uh, just kind of doing like a, a small like demonstration. He wasn't trying to read anyone. He was doing the doing thing. Yeah he wasn't trying to read anyone in the class. I mean, there's only two people. It's like a, a two on one session. Yeah. So he wasn't trying to read us. He was just trying to like explain how he starts to open a reading. And, um, she came forward mm -hmm. and, um, and he was like, and I knew immediately that it was for me because, uh, whenever somebody is reading you as a medium, uh, when they are, when spirit is stepping close to them, you can feel spirit step close to you as well. Yeah. So, um, it's really, it's really interesting. You kind of feel like a little dizzy, like you're on, um, an elevator that's going down really fast. Like mm. how you get like a little lightheaded. Do you get that feeling in your stomach, like roller coaster? Um, you don't get the feeling in your stomach, but you get it in your head. Mm, I see. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. So, um, so he started, uh, reading and he was like, yeah, Jen, um, this is, you know, this is for you. Her name starts with a J, you know, a young, young girl, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So, um, he doesn't know anything about her and, um, I'm only giving yes and no's, right? So I'm not going into details. He has no details about how, you know, what happened to her. Yeah. And this was, you know, oh, 10 years ago, I mean, yeah. maybe a little longer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he's like, yeah, um, it, he said, did she give you a message 
she keeps telling me that like she gave you a message he goes did she send you a text did she leave you a letter and i was like no no and he he was like she keeps saying like i gave you a message and um he said okay she said um you know me Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? And I was like, oh my, and I just, I just got chills again saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, whenever he said that, I was like, oh shit, she's talking about the dream. Because yeah. all these years I thought like it was just me trying to rationalize her death, but it wasn't. It She really did come to me in my dream yeah. and tell me like mm-hmm. that it was an accident. Yeah. So um, it was just like, that was amazing, amazing closure for me because mm-hmm. I thought that, I thought that I was off, right? Yeah. Like, and I wasn't off. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's it's just insane. It, it's insane how close the dead are. Like, right. the, the veil is very, very thin. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that was just like a totally unexpected and incredible moment. Because he, I mean, he's never, I, I've been in classes with him, you know, once a week for, you know, the past like four or five months. Like, he's never done a reading for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just came through and was like just forcing her message, you know, yeah. um, to let me know that that I was on the right track. So how did that feel knowing that that was kind of, uh, I don't know if that was the first time you'd experienced something like that, but something coming through so clearly like that, that had like a, a clear story behind it. Yeah. I, I mean, he went into into great detail about, um, he, he, you know, was saying like, I, he goes, okay, I'm on, he goes, there's a bridge. He was like, I, uh, I feel like I'm falling. So, uh, he was like, I don't know if she drove her car off. He was like, I don't know details, but I do feel falling off a bridge. How the hell he would know that? Like, there's no way that he would know that. And then, um, and then he went to say that, uh, that, uh, it was like a push and pull. He was like, like, uh, wanted to, but I didn't. And And he said it was an accident. Like, and I was like, oh, I fucking knew it was an accident. So it was really an accident. Do that. Yeah, it really was an accident. Wow. And she told me it was an accident in my dream. Yeah. And um, and she told him again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she, so he could tell me one more time that it was an accident. So, um, so that was super cool. So that was an amazing, um, an amazing, like, uh, validation for me, but also to be able to put that to rest, mm-hmm. you know? So that was really cool. And, um, oh, and she said something else. She, she was like, oh, um, tell, uh, my brother, congratulations. Um, and he kept saying there's two, he was like, they're sisters. And I was like, she doesn't have any sisters. And he was like, no, there's two girls and they're sisters mm-hmm. and there's a baby girl. Yeah. Um, cause I keep hearing the word niece and yeah. I was like, oh shit, I wonder if her brother's pregnant, yeah. like him and his wife are pregnant. So I messaged him and I said, Hey, you know, um, is your wife pregnant? And he said, no, she's not, but her sister is. And I was like, is she having a girl? And he said, oh, they don't know the gender. And I was like, well, surprise, she's having a girl. <laughs> oh, wow. And Jody says, congratulations. So um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but then after that, um, so we take turns reading each each other. So the students will practice yeah. um, to see if anybody comes forward for, mm-hmm. for either of us. And this was the first time that I did a reading with my eyes open. So, mm. you know, in the past I was always, you know, it's it's easier to tune with your eyes closed. Yeah. But this time I did a reading with my eyes open and got everything correct. So um, my partner, I don't know him. I've never met him. You know, we just started this class together. And um, and I was, I was picking up, it's very hard to explain because Michael always says, tell me how this person feels. And you know, I'm not a very emotional person. So I have a hard time like 
you know, describing a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it came through very, very clear in the way that I felt like heaviness in my chest, like you would if you had been crying for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, my chest feels really tight. And he was like, keep talking about how you're feeling. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, and then I just started, I got tears and tears started coming down my eyes. And, um, and I said, oh, this person is telling me that they're really sorry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, I'm like, I have real tears. Like this person is crying, like to let you know that they're really sorry for the way that they treated you. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was uh, it was pretty cool because that was the first time I ever really like had spirit pass a feeling to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I got I got pretty much everything right in that reading. I don't want to go into it because it's it's confidential. But right. Um. Uh. But yeah, I was able to describe describe the person how they were feeling, and um and kind of like what happened in the relationship between the departed and and my partner, mm-hmm. which was really pretty incredible so uh i i'm not to the point where i'm getting um names or pictures Mm -hmm. um but that that'll take time i mean it's just it's a development right so yeah yeah it's even cool that you you know you're you're able to to feel the emotions and identify what those are it's like you created those (laughs) those neural pathways and uh can only can only get stronger yeah. After you practice. Yeah, it's it's definitely practice. Um, so there's something that that uh, that they tell you to do. It's called sitting in the power, and um, the uh, theory behind sitting in the power is you're meditating on having uh, your guides, you know, kind of uh, unfold your gifts as they see fit. Right. Like, so if they feel like you're ready, they'll give you a little bit more. So sitting in the power during that meditation is to raise your vibration so you can meet. So the departed, when they lower their vibration, you can kind of meet in the middle. Yeah. And that's where, that's where you can uh, receive messages and feel. So. That uh, is so cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah, it was that. really an amazing, an amazing experience because that was um, by far the clearest message mm-hmm. I've received ever. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, see, I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. I knew coming. it was in there. Yeah. It's coming. It's we're coming. Start, <laughs> we're going to have to start giving psychic readings over, over the airline, over the airwaves. Yeah. You know, I, uh, it's funny because I don't, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel very psychic. It's not like, even though they say if you're a medium, you're psychic, um, mm. but I don't feel like I have a lot of psychic abilities. Yeah. I feel like the, the, I'm lower on the psychic abilities and higher on the mediumship ability. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. So hopefully um, I'm just going to keep at it and to yeah. be determined. I'll keep you updated. Just keep on keeping on. Yeah. Pretty soon the spirits are going to tar- start talking to you. And if, if, if anybody's listening, uh, if you remember the HSP episode, which uh, did really well, people really enjoyed it. We got a lot of really great feedback from the, the highly sensitive person having Sam Kempner come in. But uh, one thing that I did pick up on mm-hmm. while we were uh, doing the editing on the video was yeah, we had a little bit of spiritual activity on the actual I video. I about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah in yeah. the corner. So. In the um, corner. Yeah, you guys check out check out the video and um, we'll put the timestamps. Actually, are you going to make clips out of that? 
the well the the video's already done it's on youtube okay right and uh his uh, no, the clips of I, the of the spiritual activity the, the spiritual act- yeah activity? to put them on uh youtube uh, on uh, instagram yeah maybe maybe i can do that so sam was talking about um how it feels to be an hsp while also being a musician and i think during that part of the conversation he was talking about like well it feels something akin to feeling like god it's a very mystical experience as far as what he was talking about being a musician and being on stage. Because the question that I had is like, well, how does your HSP handle being in front of large groups of people? Um, and so he started talking and, and he said this one word. He said, it's like experiencing God. And the second, the second he said God, you see this little really interesting sort of apparition or shadow in the top right hand uh, corner of the video. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I checked both of our cameras. I checked uh, your camera, our, our camera on our side. There was nothing. Like my hand wasn't in the way. Uh, there wasn't anything that could have caused that. And I've never seen it in all the podcast episodes that we've done. Never seen anything like that. Just jump in front of the camera. Yeah, and that's crazy because there's nothing on that side of the room. Yeah. So uh, behind the guest, for those of you that don't know what our studio looks like, it's um, there's actually a window back there, and we have it covered with drapes. Um, but that whole wall is empty. So there's nothing over there on that, on that side that it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. We didn't see it. Yeah. We didn't see it. And, uh, it's, it's at the camera that I'm looking at right now. And I mean, we would have seen it. It's so open, you know, we can see it very clearly. Oh yeah, for sure. And that isn't the only time it actually happened. It would kind of go off and on throughout the episode. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the fact that it, it, it happened in just sort of like this little whimsical way, the second Sam said, God, I felt like a very loving, very nurturing energy, very supportive energy from it. Yeah. You know? Well, we have we have uh, other people listening to the podcast too, right? Yeah. This that is like our own little spiritual <laughs> vortex here that we got. For sure. So yeah, t- check that out. It's actually the last episode that we had uh, posted up. We got a few uh, episodes um, ahead. We got Alyssa Barrios. She's yeah. coming up. And that is the spiritual business coach. She's going to walk with us and talk about how to monetize your spiritual practice mm-hmm. and then uh audra bear audra bear which by the way that's her real last name <laughs> real name audra yeah. bear she's going to take us through the the realm of breath work which me and jen are real big fans of so definitely stay tuned if you're uh, watching this on uh, apple Podcasts, if you actually go into the details you can find the links to our YouTube and some different other links too. If you are on YouTube, just make sure to like and subscribe, do all the things you can stay up to date. Watch the video episodes if you can. And you can also find us on Instagram, check out our clips and just things we post daily. Yeah. That's it, right? That's it. Yeah. So until next next time, friends, namaste. Namaste, friends. <laughs>